Hello, thanks for listening to this episode of Map to the Stars. Before we start, we wanted to take this time to thank the amazing contributions of Sarah Helm and Jacob Anstey. They contributed the artwork and music, respectively, which truly helped realize the vision and aura of this podcast for Michelle and I. This project wouldn't be the same without their work, and we're so grateful. We love you guys. Anyhow, we're just so excited to share this with the world. Right, Michelle? You bet. We're so excited (laughs) and eternally grateful for Jacob and Sarah. Absolutely. And uh, Sarah and Jacob. We love you guys. Yeah. (laughs) They're the best. You're the best. Uh, And thanks for listening. You're the best. So here are more of our voices. We hope you don't hate it. See you soon. PTA, everyone. This is Map to the Stars, the podcast where we looked at the stars abroad in Hollywood and above in the night sky. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Michelle. Wow. (laughs) You hit the table already. Shit. How's it going? How's it going today? It's good. Yeah. It's good. I'm pumped. You're pumped. To talk about PTA. I think we're good. I think we're not peaking. I don't think so either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving the audio stuff up to you from now on. Solely. Exclusively. For everyone that's interested, this is our business meeting. (laughs) Doubling our business meeting. Truly. Um, I think we've been a bit nervous for this one. We're taking out Paul Thomas Anderson today. Just getting right into it. No introductions. Necessary. This is our fourth episode. We feel good. We're recording in the exact same space. Exact same. You're speechless. Exact same. Probably the same ambulances will drive by. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, we're taking up Paul Thomas Anderson. He's a heavyweight for sure. I think we bit off a bit more than we can chew. Yeah, his movies are just dense. Like, they're dense movies. That's a great term. They have a lot are they going ten- on. Are they tense as well? Um, really. To a lesser extent. They're awkward, I would say, more than tense. Yeah. Really good they awkward. Just, warm bath awkward. Warm bath, they just leave you feeling... Like, your brain's tired really? in a good way. Do you really think that? Like, not that there's a lot to work out, not that there's a lot of stuff hidden within the movies that you need to figure out. It's just... Interesting Yeah, that you say that. You just feel like you want to take a nap after. Oh, boy. A lot of people try to puzzle out his movies. A lot of people would probably disagree that there's not enough to puzzle out in them. I guess we'll talk about that. I mean, I'm dun, not dun, dun. I'm not the movie buff here. <laughs> you need to stop I just like with the movie buff thing. <laughs> I cannot stop talking about how you're the wise sage. And I'm that? really not mm-hmm. at all. We I do what your, I can. We are your filmy chartographers as we dive deep into and examine and compare and contrast the astrological charts with the filmic work of many, many, many diverse talents. I forgot to say that at the beginning. I can't believe you memorized that. That was awesome. I thought, well, you know, it doesn't mean just because you memorize something doesn't mean it's good. But I thought it just sticks. I thought it the faster you get it out, you know, rip the bandaid off. It's that a good kind point. Of thing. It's a great point. People aren't here for introductions. They're here for the meat getting dirty. Then we should do it, right? Just get down and dirty. For those listening at home, Michelle doesn't look comfortable, <laughs> but she doesn't look not amused either. <laughs> Oh, it's all fun and games. <laughs> until it's not. <laughs> until, until you bring up meat and dirt. Yeah. Oh, true. Well, yeah, but that's one and the same, synonymous. Remember, this is a pro-nug podcast, and it's a anti-meat podcast to alienate all those. What a contradiction. Yeah, shoot. 
<laughs> gold nugs, though. We're into like iron gold nugs. Yum. Can't eat them, though. You can suck on them. <laughs> you never suck on a gold nug before? <laughs> I can't say So I where have. was Paul Thomas Anderson born, Michelle? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's start. Okay, so Paul Thomas Anderson, and for for the sake of my tongue, because I can't process words quickly enough. PTA. Let's call him PTA. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he was born June 26th, 1970. Baby. He's quite a bit younger than I thought in a Los Angeles, You're- California. Yeah, I thought he was way younger. <laughs> City of Angels. City of Angels. 3.47 a.m.? 3.47 a.m. Do I have that right? Do you often find celebrities that were born in L.A.? It seems like a place where people aren't actually born. They just move to. You know, you find a lot of celebrities born in Ohio. Yeah, you do. Uh, Or, yeah, Northeast, New yeah. York. And then they just Austin. migrate, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got, I mean, it's L.A., it's always been LA. He's been he was born fifty years after the golden age already started. Born and bred. Hollywood. And butter. Before the talkies came. Yep. What? That's the butter. That's the butter. The oh. bread the bread was the films and then they included the butter and the and um coming up. I get it. Anyway, that's where he was born. Um so I'll talk about his son, his moon, his ascendant. Do you know these? Yes. Okay, good. Cause it's the most personal uh, signs, characteristics. We're, we're going to talk about the three and then I might ramble <laughs> a bit, but it's okay. Um, also, we're using a very specific house system throughout these episodes. Yes, which, this is new. This is new. I knew there were multiple ones, of course, but um, I use Placidus because it's what the newbies use. And I think it's just popular in Western astrology, but there are different systems. But just for the sake of consistency, I'll use Placidus. If you don't know what that means, Google it. We ain't got time. Yeah, but I don't know what it means. Oh, please tell me. Oh my goodness, it just—it's it, just a system of, um, you know, dividing up the houses. So it really doesn't matter past that. But we'll give start. me like a one-word description. Placidus. <laughs> it sounds like an animal. Then Google it. Like a marine animal. You have a computer right there. Uh. While you Google that, I'm going to start with the luminaries, which is his sun and his moon. So his sun is in Cancer in the second house. The second house is the house of possessions. I sound like I'm giving a lecture. So Cancer, it's a very sensitive, nurturing sign. You're still Googling. Um, I'm stumped. It's emotional, uh, and it's ruled by the moon, which represents one's emotions. So since his sun is in Cancer, he's likely very in tune with his emotions and uh his relationships and uh, his second house, which is the house of possessions. It means that, you know, his possessions and uh, his resources, his wealth um, gives him great security. Yeah. Yeah. Placidus. Placidus. Uh, What? No, I was just going to bounce off unless you wanted to keep just running it down. Just get through. Oh, I was going to word vomit at you till you tell me to stop fully. Yeah, but, you know, frame it. What else are you going to talk about? What's the next thing we're going to talk about? His moon. His moon. Which I do have. So we did the sun first. We do the sun and in the cancer. moon. In cancer. The sun is in cancer. Yeah. Perfect. That's right. In tune with emotions and You'd finds assume. security in his possessions or his, or his, and his relationships. Or he's in tune with the relationships. Sure. Yeah. You're in touch with your emotional side. Second house does focus on resources like tangible resources interesting specifically not necessarily relationships i mean the guy loves to use old film and old cameras (laughs) there you go i don't know i don't know yeah you could use that for possessions there might be something there but his moon on the flip side is in aries 
in the 11th house. So Aries is a very powerful, aggressive fire sign. Um, It's ruled by Mars, which we've talked about, like power, aggression, drive. Um, So shares those characteristics that I just mentioned. Um, It likely means that alternatively to what we just said, he's uh, quite independent in his emotional nature, which I guess that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not in tune with it. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just independent. Uh, And then the 11th house is the house of community, friendship, uh, society, you know, collectivity. Is that a word? Absolutely. Great. So um, may also... (laughs) Individuality. Exactly. So may also find comfort in those relationships and that um, feeling of community and togetherness. Um, What I did learn is that there is a... This is where I have to think because this is new stuff. I'll put in like a sound effect of gears turning. Right. Okay. So Chris Brennan of the Astrology Podcast taught me this uh, technique. And I believe it's from the Hellenistic tradition of astrology. Um, So there is a difference between a a day chart and a night chart. And to determine whether you have a day chart or a night chart, it just depends on whether the sun is above or below the horizon in your natal chart. PTA, his sun is below that horizon line. Mm -hmm. Um, So he has a night chart, which means that it's likely that he identifies more with his moon and those characteristics um, with his moon than with his sun. So yeah, the sun in Cancer is a bit different than, you know, his moon in Aries, right? So, you know, likely he's a bit more independent in in his emotions and he connects more with that, um, those aspects of his moon than with his sun. I'm not sure if that's true. I don't know PTA personally, but. You're debunking our podcast currently. <laughs> what the hell? If anyone knows. You're, you're a, a traitor. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can help. Okay, so Moon is in Aries. Mm-hmm. In which house? In the 11th house. In the 11th house, which is? The house of community. It's Perfect. ruled by uh, Uranus. So if that mm-hmm. helps at all. Not for me, but for anyone listening. For sure. This is all, all of this is on Google, too. You could Google it. <laughs> That's the second time you've said that. They're coming to the podcast for our knowledge, and you're saying, go Google it. I know. I just feel like someone else could say it more succinctly than I could. Second time you've been a traitor Got this all time. out. I'm <laughs> <laughs> keeping it in. Um, I'll do his ascendant next, and then I kind of want to come back to his ascendant. I know, I know what we're going to talk about with Magnolia, and I don't think this comes up, but I think it's an interesting thing to talk about. Right. So I'll talk about it. Um, his ascendant is in Gemini. So your ascendant we've talked about is your ideal self, how others perceive you. And so Gemini is an air sign. It's very communicative, witty, curious, a little mischievous. Um, and that is likely how he comes across to other people. Um, So I think an important thing is to find out your chart ruler. Um, So we look to the ascendant. We look at what sign it's in. It's in Gemini. Who's the ruler of Gemini? Do you know? No. It's Mercury. Communication. The planet of communication. Oh, we talked about that in the last episode. Right. I mean, it all comes together. So Mercury, um, the planet of communication, is his chart ruler. So to kind of figure out major themes in somebody's life – major qualities or archetypes, uh, we're going to look to that chart ruler, look in his chart to see where Mercury is because it is um, which planet rules the sign that his ascendant's in. That was really, like, that was a lot of word salad. But if we look and <laughs> we vomit, we look <laughs> if we look to Mercury in his birth chart, it's also in the first house in Gemini. It's in the 
sign of its rulership. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important indicator that communication is big. Communication is a big quality, a big uh, idea or theme that's present in his life. And I think just the fact that he's a director, a successful movie maker, he's got lots of good ideas and he communicates through his art, through his film. So communication for creative types, for filmmakers, I think is, is huge. So that I think is a really important aspect. And I think maybe that's more indicative of who he is as a person than like the movies he makes. You know what I mean? He's personable. I mean, we both listened to that WTF Mark Maron episode. Absolutely personal. Maron just going on about how he's a genius, but uh, he's so personable. Geniuses shouldn't be so affable or whatever. And yeah, he yeah. seems like such a cutie, such a good guy. Absolutely. He comes across as just such, yeah, such a good guy, a good communicator. He he's comes across at- as both, um, you know, a California bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's wise, who's read, a well-read California bro. He really is. In all of his movies, and he speaks to this, California plays such a big role. And a lot of his movies, oh, I mean, please, which movie doesn't take place in California? I think, uh... I'm trying to think of Hard Eight does, but every single one of them uh, uh, does. Phantom Thread doesn't, but Phantom Thread's another beast. And we're not talking about it. No, we're not. (laughs) We're only talking about, we're only talking about, and again, you'll know by the title, we're only doing a little intro... Maybe mm-hmm. a big intro now. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything about his location in there that's so important to him? You know, I wonder if that's a possession. There's a possessiveness to his country, his his kinship with his uh, with his state. Yeah, I mean, and it, just even, plays, it plays such a big role. Not that even, it's necessarily a theme, but in Magnolia, it, it's all about the valley. It's all about L.A. And not to cut you off as I did before, so I'm sorry about that. But look None. to his his uh, his moon. It's in the 11th house, which I said is community. Like just commu- he he loves his community, loves yeah. LA, he loves the scene. You could stretch it for that then, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm just looking to see if I have anything cool. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think since we're talking about his career and his work specifically, I can tell that um, I can tell you that his mid heaven, which kind of determines your. Um, trajectory career-wise and your goals and your ambitions. It's on the cusp of the 10th house, which is the house of career um, work. So his midheaven is in Aquarius. Aquarius is a sign that's really associated with um, freedom. It's ruled by Saturn and Uranus, which the planets of uh, freedom and responsibility. So with Saturn, responsibility, Uranus, freedom. So that just kind of indicates that it's likely he – wants his work to, you know, be free and fulfill a higher purpose. And he wants to have freedom in his work. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't imagine anyone who bankrolls, I mean, I mean, or no, not the right term. His movies don't make a lot of money, but damn, like, does he get a lot of money? He has the freedom to do whatever the hell he wants. 70 mil, he's working on Panavision, old lenses. He gets to make these movies that you just go, you're transported back to a different time. Fully, and I think. Especially on, the last three or four. I know, and I haven't seen all of, his movies, and I know you have, but right. it's kind of the idea that none of his movies are ever just, you know, a mundane story. We wouldn't take them off. We frogs wouldn't. start flying eventually, you know? He just throws <laughs> that in there. You think it's a normal, you know, love... family story, and then oh, imagine he just doing throws the... some shit in there. Imagine him doing the uh, Princess and the Frog. Be fantastic. Did you watch that one? The cartoon? The animated film. Let's not be uh, vulgar about it. The cartoon. <laughs> would you call toy? Would you call Pixar to cartoons? Disney cartoons. No, animated. Why am I defending the dumbest company on earth? It's a good point. 
I'll, I'll do two more just because I feel like we're going to bring it up and I want to keep riffing. But you're the editor. You can cut this out if you want. It's the fourth time you've been a cutie on this podcast. <laughs> All right, give it to me. I'm going to say this because this is something that you made a note of too. So um, his moon is in Aries, which we talked about, um, and his Mars is in Cancer. That means that those two planets are in mutual reception. Mm. It means that Cancer is ruled by the moon and Aries is ruled by Mars. So they're in each other's. They're in each other's um, sign of rulership, mm-hmm. right? So it means that despite any aspects that may exist, if there are any hard aspects, it's they kind of coexist and they um, support one another. So his emotional side with his drives and ambitions, um, you know, they're always kind of going to have positive energy between them. So he's going to seek, uh, in layman's terms, he's going to maybe seek the human connection with his stories, he's going to go for characters first. He's going to find out what's the emotion behind this story. And then I'll put a lot of paint around it and a lot of oils and, you know, make it seem a little bit more complex than it really is. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah. you look at Mars, which is your drives and um, link that with cancer, which is very emotional. So, yeah, I like that drive to kind of focus on the emotional side of things and his relationships and whatnot. And then that directly linking up with his moon and Aries. I don't know. They just, yeah, they just coexist together. And right. it's just a good relationship. Sounds great. So that's one. You you said you had a second one? Yeah. And this is something we're going to talk about later, which maybe I should save it. But um, Spoil it. if we look at some of the dominant modalities in his chart, so we can see that the cardinal mode is the most dominant among his inner planets. So inner planets is uh, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Ascendant. They're just the most personal planets to oneself, to understanding oneself. Okay. Um, And there are three different qualities or modalities that a sign can possess, and it kind of determines the personality of that sign. It's just determined by wherever the sign falls within the zodiac wheel. So there's cardinal, fixed, and mutable. He has more cardinal signs than anything else, which is linked a lot with creation and the beginning of a new season. And I know that's something we've talked about in his movies that comes up as well. So just that idea of creation is really present in this chart. Sounds great. That's all I have. Well, I mean, yeah, that uh, it's a perfect segue for talking about his films and specifically the first one that we're going to discuss, which is Magnolia. Oh, big film. <laughs> Okay, I have an idea that I was going to – I haven't really pitched this to you yet. Mm-hmm. So with the Spielberg podcast, we were going theme by theme, right? Yeah. And then we were just chewing up five of his movies and putting them in. This one we thought, let's just go film by film mm-hmm. and then do the themes instead. Yeah. I, have a, I have a better idea because we're only taking a look at Magnolia. This is a bit of a half – well, this is just part one of PTA. Sure. Uh, as you said, he's dense. He's deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he, he's an ocean. <laughs> oh my god! Let me try to think. Are there oceans in his movies? I'll stop. I'll stop doing that. <laughs> um, I was thinking we could take a look at each individual character and their arc, and then in in this movie specifically, Magnolia, which is 1999. Everybody, New Line Pictures. Um, to contextualize this film, uh, and again. Not that I would say Google it, but you can listen to a lot. It was super informative for us listening to that WTF Marin pod. Yeah, that, for uh, sure. Conversation where he immediately talks about how this movie is about his dad. His dad had just passed away a couple of years prior. Uh, PTA is still really young at this point. 
he's like in his late 20s or right. something like that. I mean, yeah, wait. Yeah, he would be 29. Exactly that. Yeah, 70s. So it's really fresh in his mind. And um, there's two really big key things that I want to kick off the conversation and start to bridge everything together just to give a little um, table setting for the film. Um, you have Jimmy Gator, uh, Philip Baker Hall, mm-hmm. uh, the two uh, three named Phillips, RIP in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but you have the mantra that's said by Stanley as well, um, who's the, the the whiz kid, the the current quiz kid, uh, and it draws all these nice parallels. But I'll get to that soon. So the mantra that's repeated, I don't know how many times. I wasn't keeping track when we were watching it, but I noticed it even when I was just flipping through yesterday and prep for this episode. Is that uh, you remember when they say we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us? Yeah, and it's the book, yeah, and they're yeah. referencing the book and all that kind of thing. And you get the Genesis sure. thing with the frogs. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's less that PTA is reckoning with his past on this movie, but he has a lot of characters that are just completely haunted by their past. But I think the biggest thing that connects all these characters mm-hmm. that we're going to get into is that uh, that mantra of the past catching up with them. Absolutely, the not through with them, and uh, they're gonna it's gonna put them through the ringer a little bit more. But <laughs> do you like that idea? I haven't really really run it past. Yeah, you. I think that sounds great. It's all right, character yeah, to character, lead the way because it's so much of a uh, collage. Yeah. Really? Yeah, you it know? is. I'm glad you're down. And speaking to the interview that he did with Marin, he talks about getting the call that his dad was dying uh, of cancer. Essentially, he had no time to live or anything. He talks about that as being absurd as frogs falling from the sky. You have these biblical sensibilities and imagery with that and everything like that. But it, it bridges all the characters together as well. And so you have these two these two main things. It's the... As you were saying, the collectivity of it, this energy and, and system in L.A. and all these lives um, reckoning with the past. And then it's all connected, you know, through his dad and everything like that. So anyway, that was a bit messy. <laughs> my intro and sort of my way in leading into this film. It's about the past. It's about frogs. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree with yeah. that. I think what I picked out and I think what anyone could pick out is that there's a lot of um, – death present in that movie um death it drives everything yeah it drives everything um and so do relationships and those were the yeah the two kind of important themes in that movie and the first thing i wanted to look for at the time of the release of the movie which is december 17th 1999 was anything that involved pluto (laughs) um pluto is the planet of you know, power transformation and life and death. So I wanted to see where Pluto was interacting um, and how it was transiting or interacting with his natal chart when this movie came out. And I found quite a few quite positive aspects involving Pluto, um, namely just a couple um, trines involving Pluto, which is a very harmonious aspect. So kind of countering what you said before, that it's not a reckoning of his past and his relationships, I think in some ways it is is because it's such because pluto appears in such positive aspects with his natal chart it kind of signifies to me that in like strong ways you mean like positive as yeah yeah, as in like he's almost facing and confronting his dark side and the idea of life and death and it's kind of like he's yeah it's meditating on that i mean when this uh when the movie came out as well he was just completing his Saturn return. So your Saturn return happens around the age of 30 in anyone's life. And it's just a very pivotal time in someone's life. You know, you're, you're turning 29, 30. It's the first time you're really reaching 
um, full adulthood and being faced with new challenges and responsibilities. It's real upheaval of your life and experiences and your relationships. Yeah. So I think that really plays into it where... And the death of a parent will only push that further, right? Especially if he's more connected with his moon and his emotions. Exactly. Right? Okay. For sure. So the first aspect I noticed was that his transiting Pluto, um, which is in the seventh house, the house of partnership and relationships, um, that's definitely something that's prevalent. I guess that is something that's important to note. Pluto at the time um, is transiting the seventh house. So that idea of relationships is really present in the movie too. Um, the movie is about relationships between different people. Um, so transiting- And the interconnectedness of it. Yeah. For yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. So transiting Pluto trying his natal moon. Um, so really exactly just what I said before, it's really just like him connecting with his inner self and darker parts of himself as well. That's right. what Pluto is. It's dark and powerful and brooding planet sometimes. So yeah, it's just really coming to terms with that and coping with that. So that's the only reason I said I countered what you had said before, because it really <laughs> seems like with these aspects, um, his transiting Pluto also uh, trying his Chiron, Chiron, which is supposed to be the wound. Should I Google that? Um, that's in the same house and sign as as his moon so that's supposed to be the wounded healer and so is it a centaur (laughs) famous for his teaching ability um i don't i don't know why is chiron not a god is the fourth most uh asked question wisest and justice of all centaurs take it up with uh, take it up with zeus i think take it up with zeus but Shit, I'm sorry. I love that we're making light out of such dark circumstances. Oh, well, you have to. He he makes light of it. Of course. This movie's about his dad. Yeah. Tom Cruise says, respect the cock. (laughs) Respect (laughs) the cock. (laughs) Don't say the other one. I don't want to. I want, I want, I want. Um, Tame the Chiron. Tame the Chiron. But with that, so (laughs) his moon and his Chiron, both in Aries in the 11th house. So the 11th, that community again. Those are both in his natal chart. So with that transiting Pluto, it's uh, an interpretation of that aspect with Chiron is that it's facing past wounds, almost childhood wounds or. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. The way. Exactly as I flubbed it, you know, the wounded healer. So coming to terms with your wounds and um, I don't know. Yeah. I just kept coming back with Pluto specifically to the idea of life and death and and transformation and change and um, how. With these positive aspects, again, it's just he's really coming to terms with it and coping with it. I guess because it was I never imagined and he says it himself that he never really had a bad relationship with his father. So I thought he's not reckoning with his past. But no, he's writing these characters and he's exploring these different relationships, as you keep saying, and the life and death involved within them. Uh, there's two dying fathers in the mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I guess I can dive into the parallels. Anyway, no, because he didn't have that bad of a relationship with his, with his father, I didn't see it that way, but you're so right because I think we discussed before and we're going to get into it is that all of these characters, everything that is um, that has formed them, that is, no, 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 sorry, that has like molded them into who they are today and how they're operating and what they're doing, uh, besides John C. Riley's character, I guess. For sure. He's a bit of an enigma. Yeah. And he's just sort of this beacon of loneliness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that. And and anyway, everything is because of the childhood, their childhood, their past. Yeah. They're all reckoning with it and in different ways. 
uh, because of different reasons. Yeah, you're right. You're and right. it's not necessarily a reckoning with any um, negativity in any relationship, like with his for father. His, it's just, yeah. It's just but you know, all the know, characters are linked that way for sure. Yeah, it's just coping with the tragedy of like human existence. Dude, same. <laughs> <laughs> same. Same. Magnolia every day. Magnolia when I wake up. I know. I know. And I think into that too. We talk about like relationship. Oh wait, I'll let you go. Sorry, you riff for a bit. Um, no, no, no. You riff, and then I'll take a lead guitar solo. I was just gonna. Um, yeah, cap off. Yeah, kind of transition that idea of you know the relationships into loneliness in the film. Oh, you want to do that? Um, you I, I backtrack. Might, I'll backtrack a little bit. Let me just set the scene with the parallels. I'll give, and let me just introduce all the characters. Go for it. Please, first, uh, with this three hour, 10 minute friggin' movie. So, and then, yeah, we have these three sort of main themes, and that's how I thought really we can, you know, and it can, it can be loose. This is such a big movie. This is why, compared to five movies across two episodes, we just wanted to do one. I know. With this one, with an intro, it's just such a beast. It really is. Okay, where do we start? How the hell does the movie start? It starts with this <laughs> intro about, well, it's not just a coincidence. It's not just a dink. Right. You have this really sardonic narrator that caps off the film. I think it ends that way, too. It does. It does because it's the dog that died because of the pill and yeah. everything like that. Yeah. So you have all these, you know, it's not, it's circumstances and all these chances of fate, really, essentially. I mean, one of the characters that you have, William H. Macy's, uh, as he's credited, quiz kid Donnie Smith. <laughs> Poor guy in his braces that he wants desperately so, so badly. He was struck by lightning. Did you take note of that? Yeah, I did. Like, what about, like, what kind of chance yeah, happening is that? Like, that's his whole thing, too, you know? Let me let me introduce the characters. Um, I would love to remember what it starts with. But we have Stanley Spector, who I just originally introduced as that quiz kid that's currently Jeremy Blackman plays him. Um, I don't really know any other performances the guy does. He seems like no more of a musician idea. now. Again, Jimmy Gator, great name. Philip Baker Hall, which, who plays his wife? Philip Mel- Baker Hall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who plays his wife? Melinda Dillon, who, she was on our last episode, Close Encounters. Barry! Oh, yeah, you just need to say Bar- Barry, and I know. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to do, or you could do, um, I could just do incoherent screaming about the dogs uh, eating the turkey. Christmas Story. Shit, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Blowing my mind. Shit. Shit. Um, Barry. I don't even have her name down. No, I do. Rose. Rose Gator. <laughs> You're not even looking at me. Not even remotely interested in this. <laughs> Let me breeze through. You got Earl Partridge, this patriarch, this uh, media empire uh, god in L.A. Um, who's actually funding... All these, all these friggin' connectivities. He's fun. All these threads. He's funding the quiz show that Jimmy Gator and Spencer are on, and then he's dad to Frank T.J. Mackey, played by Tom Cruise. Respect, Tom. Respect the cock, Tom Cruise. You didn't put all that together, baby. No, I did. It's a, of course, it's a Earl I did. Partridge production. No, no, no. Of course, I did. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but Gulardi, I go. Is PTA Tom Cruise? Does he see himself as Tom Cruise? <laughs> Of course he doesn't. Is he is he like the Tom Cruise of this movie? No. You know, he, he probably is. He's probably Philly Seymour Hoffman because he's the guy trying to get 
in touch with his dad who's about to die. That doesn't add up. You know, and and he's doing the meta shit where it's just like, this is the scene in the movie. This is the, uh, the son's trying to get in contact. And it's like, shut up. I like that as a kid a lot. Why? Um, as a kid. Well, I just like the meta. It was just so emotional. I cried so much when I first saw this movie. Aw. We saw this movie. We had You had an awful first viewing of this movie. I actually didn't have that bad of a time and you just hated it. Because people were laughing at moments that I thought was just utter lonely despair with John C. Riley. so sensitive to your environments when you're watching movies. Well, it's like a religious experience whenever you watch a movie. Fifth time you've been a traitor. <laughs> Feels long. No, I kid. Tom, Spurt the Cock, Tom Cruise, uh, Melora Walters as Claudia Wilson Gator who has the most tragic childhood and how that's been affecting her and what's that what that's gotten into her because Jimmy can't exactly remember whether or not he um, assaulted or abused at one point drunkenly Claudia and she's taken a life of drugs and prostitution seemingly. Um, she, I mean, look, her, she's just crying and yelling the whole time. It was getting me this this time. Yeah. It's a lot to take in. It's really alarming, you know, just so much screaming. The soundtrack on this. Yeah. I mean, the I. The music just keeps going. I she even just, keeps just screaming. made that um, as a note when I was watching it, not necessarily connecting to anything relevant, but just, yeah, like music is um, interrupting conversation. It's just like so hard to hear. There's always something that's getting <laughs> in the way of talking. Did we watch with subtitles? Did we watch with subtitles? I don't think so because we've sure? seen it before. Maybe. But yeah, loud score. Um, uh, Julianne Moore plays Linda Partridge, who is married, the new wife who said, uh, you know, she says she married him for money. And then it turns out she loves him. Spoiler alert. She ends up loving him near the end of his life. Uh, another super loud, emotional cry performance. And then John C. Riley as Jim Curring, I believe Officer Jim Curring. And that's where the movie really starts with me. Uh, it's hard to... Uh, negotiate kind of emotionally with these other characters and I really see myself a lot in Jim as someone who's just he's kind of talking to himself he I know, just feels you lonely said that, yeah oh. when and he gets cut off when he's um, the reporters interviewing the other cops oh my goodness yes yeah I just feel that it's just these smaller moments I think he's like got the smallest and mo- maybe the most humblest arc where he's just trying to find someone to love. He's just trying to find a connection, That's right? It, he's just yeah. trying to like he can't. He's he's having trouble communicating and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. If we're just using those terms, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim's. I don't know. Who do you relate to most in this movie? <laughs> if there's anyone, Stan- I wish Stanley. Stanley. I wish I was a whiz kid. No, um, pressure no, as a kid, not. as a dancer. No, I'm not just a toy. Not. My parents were muy chill when it came to that stuff. Muy yeah, muy. who do you relate to? I don't know. I can't see myself relating to really anyone in the movie, if I'm being completely honest with you. So you relate to uh, Guinevere, I believe, that's her name is, who's interviewing Tom Cruise, probably. She's a badass. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. In terms of characters that I just oh, make me feel, like Philly, my boy Philly. He's yeah, yeah, exactly. The nurturing, good guy. So we're saying PTA, you just connect with PTA the most. I think so. Because... I I would say that's my best bet. I don't have his name in here. I'm an idiot, but PSH. I'm looking up his name for sure. And I wrote it down We too. need it. I mean, if this is the character that you relate to the most, we need it. Um, Anyhow, which character did you want to start with? Because I think that might be the easiest way to... Not every Phil single... Phil Parma, sorry. Oh, so it's Phil as well. It's Phil Parma. And Phil I knew Parma. it was because I wrote that down. Weird name, but also 
he works in medicine, so pharma. Oh, good point. (laughs) Not even, not even. Good point. So who do you want to start with? Because we have these three big themes. You were very eloquently talking about the creation, the cardinal signs, and that everything sort of roots back to this origin, you know, even emotionally rooting back to his dad and sort of the nurturing and the nature, et cetera. This isn't Spielberg all over again, but it is about, um, you know, this creation involved i don't know i don't know how else to talk about it. i guess you had the astrological sense with it but yeah. there's just a creation theme it's sort of and yeah. it doesn't persist with every character i think inherent in the movie is just a lot of things falling apart whether that's through death or otherwise or just relationships falling apart and i think inherent in that is transformation which leads to a recreation creation, yeah. right? yeah Absolutely. a reinvention too i think was our big thing for sure um okay fair and then we have um and I, let, let me try to explain it a little bit. But because this, uh, the moon is in Aries, <laughs> which is this independent and aggressive sign. Uh, it's in the 11th house, family and friendship com- community in there. And I think I'm right in this, but it's in, this is in conflict with the, his Libra, which is in Uranus, part of the upheaval and rebellion in the house of work and creativity. So I think we were talking about there was a loneliness and isolation there, right? They're both affecting his son slash his ego. And I know that we mentioned he's more, you know, a moon chart. Um, there's a loneliness that pervades all of his movies. Absolutely. And this right. is this is huge. This is everything. Because the the if relationships are falling apart inherently in there, inherently vice, you're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have someone who feels lonely on on both ends. Or, you know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely Am I right in right. that part? You, yeah. So you just read into um a T square that's present in his chart. Um and yeah, you're absolutely right. So his Uranus in Libra in the fifth house is um, in opposition with his moon uh, in Aries in the 11th house. So those things are conflicting with each other. And we've talked about too how the fifth house is the house of creativity, creativity, pleasure, entertainment. A definition I have is where you give your heart and affections. So whatever you can interpret that as being. So with it in opposition with his moon in Aries in the 11th house, so the house of community and friendship um those things might be uh not working together Mm -hmm. very well so i know we talked about it as being you could take it creativity as like a as like an extension of work so uh one's creative drive can often come in conflict with um, relationships and and that feeling of community and belonging square to both of those is his son i guess the idea with the t-square is that whatever is um at the point of the triangle or the Mm -hmm. T-square is what is directly being affected by that opposition. So his son in cancer um, is affected by that. So you can really just say his emotional state and his, his well-being is affected by those conflicts he's experiencing. The further he digs into his creative pursuits though, it kind of dry, it drives him further away. It pushes him further away from those relationships and a little, a little, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, no. No, I was just going to say, I think on that too, um, if we look at the chart uh, when the movie was released, his transiting Uranus opposition Venus. So uh, transiting Uranus, we've talked about that with Spielberg too. That's like the planet of rebellion uh, and upheaval, right? So with that in opposition with Venus, Venus is love and and romance and relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's a negative aspect. Those are not working in harmony. So we can imagine that at the time, his romantic re- relationships were going through a great change and probably a destructive change. 
Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, drama that you can read about, gossip stuff that you can read about with him and Fiona Apple during that time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. With Venus, I think just in terms of love, I think that can absolutely be extended to not just romantic relationships, but just relationships as a whole. Platonic and um, supportive ones as well. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, they're saving each other's lives in these movies in a, in a small way. Yeah, um, absolutely. Even, you know, regardless of romance. Mm-hmm. So that we have those two, you know, creation. We got loneliness and isolation and how that works, as we just explained. And then... Um, I had, and this was sort of, this is what was really drawing everything back with me and hopefully I can bridge all this together with a few key characters. Right. Um, is that somewhere in his chart, he's missing Capricorn. Yeah. So that's the T-square. I mean, the idea, the idea is that in a T-square, the three signs that are present are all in the same Mm -hmm. modality or quality. And like we talked about, that's cardinal. So, um, the one cardinal sign that we're missing in that relationship, uh, we have Aries with his moon. Yes. We have Cancer with his sun. Yeah. I don't have that, but I distinctly remember it. I'm catching on. And Uranus (laughs) in, um, Uranus and Libra. So the one yes. cardinal sign that we're missing is Capricorn. Ooh, okay. So the idea, um, a theory with the T-square is that to kind of fix the relationship or fix the conflict that's experienced within the T-square, you look to the opposite side of where that point is. So the point, like we said, is the sun. So if we look to the opposite side of his chart, if you actually pull up his chart, nothing's there. Like there's no um, planet I remember occupying you that. that space, yeah. right? But yeah, it's the bare. idea is that it's like a balancing of energy. So just looking at what would be there at the opposite side of the chart is like a way to potentially resolve that conflict. So if we look to the opposite side of his chart, it's Capricorn um, in the eighth house. So the eighth house is the house of sex and death. It's ruled by um, Mars and Pluto, mm-hmm. but the sign Scorpio is would be its natural ruler. So I don't know. How would you read that? If you were to say that's how he's or the characters in the movie are seeking to resolve that conflict between what we talked about with um, Uranus opposition moon looking yeah. to Capricorn. I'll get into that. But just I think the big thing is that it's missing Capricorn as in it's missing. Not for not for him. He's he's got a big family. He comes from a big family. Sure. I think that he he likes to school was never really for him. He was in and out of college a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I'm not necessarily doing the psychoanalysis of him. But, it, you know, his sign as in missing Capricorn and that it's the traits involved with that sign would be structure, tradition and responsibility. Right. So I think that I think just really melting it down and looking at these characters, I think I can bring it in where it's just like the emotional and the creative or intuitive side need to be in harmony or it would help to have that. Because sometimes, as we just mentioned, the creative pursuits can drive him a bit further away from his relationships and his emotional side his emotional nature which i think if we were talking about it would be really relevant for phantom thread phantom thread is a huge example of um (laughs) not to keep referencing other i mean hey we're doing our research on this thing but in the a24 podcast he talks about with safety brothers uh it's either josh or benny they sound exactly the same almost (laughs) he's talking about (laughs) they don't look the same he's talking he's just like oh man phantom thread's insane it's just like in order for this drive to be stopped, you literally need to be sick. You need to be poisoned and, and like 
you need to be on the verge of death. Fully, yeah. <laughs> to be distracted away from wanting to make a film. Mm-hmm. That was his interpretation. There was a lot of interpretations. Right. A lot of, you know, snarkier comments were basically like, hmm, I wonder if it's really hard for Maya Rudolph to be married to someone like PTA. <laughs> <laughs> you wonder. Because it's like, hey, um, can I have your attention? Like, I want to be part of this relationship. Yeah. Because uh, let me just poison him um, so that he relies on me mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And that's the most obvious thing. In, in in a way, you know, it's sort of, you know, we're d- doing this deep dive on him. And, okay, we sk- keep skipping over it. We'll get to Magnolia real soon and just bang it out. But you can immediately see it in this because it probably Jimmy's career took him away from his family and probably led him to more drink. And Stanley's career, and I know we're not talking about career, but those creative pursuits and all just c- complete intellect. Right. Um, he's being pushed and pushed by his dad. And the further he goes into there and the further his dad pushes him, the – less that his relationship is actually you know awful uh father role model figures yeah yeah movie. absolutely so i think just so much of that you know a complex relationship with fathers um as a whole in that there's a lack of structure some sort of traditional family and a lot of his movies are bridged by surrogate families mm-hmm. and the we see sort of surrogate families being uh brought together uh getting ahead of myself as usual but near the end Frank Mackey goes to the hospital to see a recently overdosed Linda Partridge. I think she survives the whole right. ambulance crash. But that is the that is the most surrogate family of everything where it's like bridging. You know, his death has brought new life, has brought mm-hmm. a recreation to that relationship. So, yeah. Um, let's just get into it. Okay. Out of... Frank Mackey, because he's got the most of it. I think, well, let's tackle the meat. Yeah. Respect the cock. <laughs> Out of the meat, would you rather tackle Tom Cruise or John C. Riley? I kind of want to do John C. Riley. Interesting. Yeah. So that I can cry on Mike? I, yeah, exactly. The No, I think he just has a unique story. like The one he, different than anything else. Exactly. There's no dad. But he's still, you know, emotionally wounded. Just yeah, like everyone else is. Dog. Real sad puppy dog. Yeah. And I think if we look at just placing PTA's birth chart onto this character, you know, his moon is in Aries, that independent nature. Um, but with it being in the 11th house, it's like he finds a lot of stability and a lot of comfort and a lot of security in his friendships and his community. And he just doesn't have that, which means that. John C. Riley's yeah. Jim, Jim. Yeah. Right. Like he, we don't see him. He doesn't have friends, even like other cops he can't talk no, to. No, he, he has, has no he friends. Has no one, right? He has no, he's, well, the easiest way, look, this isn't a subtle movie. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. This isn't a subtle movie, but the easiest way to show loneliness is a guy immediately introduced as sitting alone. It's this amazing cut. The movie grinds to a halt. Right. Because you're just going and going and going for, uh, I have it right here. I have the timestamp. He shows up at 10 minutes in, right? Uh, n- near 11 minutes, and it's just moving and moving and moving. And the camera's moving so much, and the characters, and they're swearing as well. Jim has this whole thing about not swearing. And hold on, you know, he's mm-hmm. just trying to be, he's religious. Right. He wants to really follow the rules. Right. Um, but the movie grinds to a halt. The soundtrack's still going with the music because it's bridging all these characters. And it's, um, you know, one is the loneliest number cover by Amy Mann. But there's no camera movement. It slows down. And he stays in the shot and there's like, um, it's almost shocking how static the camera goes. The camera's not moving handheld or on a dolly or anything. It's all these 
because he needs movement in his life. Everyone else needs to slow down. And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes him the most interesting. Right. The most unique character. And the most sympathetic, how I can, you know, maybe next to Philip Seymour Hoffman, you can get into the John C. Riley camp with me. <laughs> Were you yeah. surprised? Have you ever seen a mature performance from him before this? I know we watched it a while ago, but had you seen? Because look, Step no, Brothers. yeah. I Talladega Nights. PTA right? seems to be good at that, where he just takes. But this um, is before all that, too, right? Right, right. No, he that was like is a, a serious good point. actor before. Well, he was a bit of everything. Obviously, he's he's a mixed bag, just like he pulled Adam Sandler, Punch Drunk Love. I know it's a serious, fantastic role. Um, but uh, more, I'm saying this is his third movie with PTA. He's one of the leads yeah, in Heart Eight. That's fair. And he's in Boogie Nights, and Boogie Nights yeah. is like a fun performance. But this is like so sad. He's oh man, yeah. Anyway, there's no other way to depict loneliness uh, than having someone call a a dating line and introduce himself. And he's listening to a self-help book and he's like reciting it and he's talking and also just talking to himself. It's It's heartbreaking. Yes, it is. (laughs) It is. I want to cry. Anyway, so there's there's this movement that needs to happen. And I think it's through that. It's just it depicts that loneliness. And everything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I know it's not necessarily with his work, but it's his only pursuit. Right. It's what, what he's putting his energy into. And I think that having been a cop, it sort of, it doesn't help build those emotions and relationships with people. He's there to help someone, but someone needs to help him, you know. And yeah. he finds uh, love and, and, and sort of this growth and this exciting movement in his life. It gets loud. His life is quiet and everything. And there's movement involved and he has such a loses his gun he just has a bad day yeah i'm trying to think of anything else for jim i mean i think he's a pretty you know the simplest arc it is it really is it's just he has one missing link and one missing piece in his life that would seemingly that's the tidiness of movies even though this movie is a mess bag yeah um he just needs someone to bring change to you know show him uh he needs somewhere to put that love. He has so much love to give. He does. Which, that's what he says. That's what he says, actually. That's what he says. Are you sure? Or that's what William H. Macy says. Oh, that is. Right? I knew I was going to get you that way. I knew I was going to get you that No. Shit. I think it's interesting. That was good, by the way. <laughs> Kudos. <laughs> Your favorite catchphrase. Shit. Shit. I wonder if... um I do. It's interesting looking at like PTA's chart. I wonder if he... like these pieces of himself and all of these characters and i think he must mm-hmm. um taking a look at his moon again it's like placement of his moon as that he feels inadequate um and he fears failure as a possibility mm-hmm. so it's just with aries as such an independent sign and that's not something that really matches well with a very like an, an emotionally in tune individual um feeling inadequate and overcompensating for that. And I think that's what John C. Riley is like, he's just, he's trying so hard because yeah. he just wants to, he wants to be loved and he wants to find love. So he's like. He's the only one without a past giving, given too. Right. You can, you can create whatever you want with Stanley. I mean, he's a kid, so there's only so much math to do mm-hmm. and algebra to do with yeah. that. So much guesswork where it's just like, he, well, he's probably born, uh, maybe his mom died. His mom's just out yeah. of the picture. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. He doesn't have a mothering finger. Mm-hmm. His dad's, you know, a slave driver. <laughs> just, yeah. And just pushing him to make money. And all, I don't know what's all about all those dogs. They're rushing out again. Oh, it's all those moving. Cute. Anyhow, 
Maybe, so many uh, dogs. Maybe yeah. PTA's dad had dogs. It, it, it represents all his siblings and half-siblings. <laughs> Irrelevant. Um, he's the That's seventh funny. of nine children. I know. Well, he has a bunch of sisters, I think. Yeah, because he has a quite a number of biological siblings and then like seven more Yeah, like more three sisters. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Something Big like family. that. We're not doing the math here. Because look, they're not PTA. They're not making the movies. No, absolutely Shit. not. They're not the Safties. <laughs> Has there ever been like a triple, like three siblings work on a movie? I don't think so. This is not a worth uh, wild tangent. Okay, Donnie Smith. Let's do him because okay. he's because I think really nice parallel. Um, I'm trying to think. You have the parallel between the two Wiz kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then that fills in the past. I mean, almost Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. He feels inadequate as well. In both image and both intelligence too. He only has like, it's like he hasn't learned anything since he was on the kids show. He's uh, on the quiz show. He's spewing all these facts that no one wants to care about. He's talking to himself, seemingly, right? He's he's talking to himself. He's doing the self-help stuff. He has these mantras. He's listening to the same music. I wish I, um, same Sarah McLaughlin kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's exactly the same. He's having a bad day too. It's exactly the same. It's feelings of inadequacy and what's he missing? He's missing love. And shit, you know what I mean? Well, and that's so clear. And then he loves the bartender. Yeah. I would love to remember the bartender's name, but he wants the braces so that yeah. he can fix his teeth and it's perfect teeth anyway. Mm-hmm. Alfred Molina, giving it to him. Doc Ock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just yeah. giving him shit for wanting the braces. You don't mm-hmm. need braces. You have good teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and good. he does. And yeah, and he does cracks the safe. Doing that too. I mean, there's a loneliness there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that... I'm trying to think if there's anything really involved with that. There's just this rebellion that's involved as well. Because I think that if, is it too far to say that like the conflict between Libra, which is that creative pursuit, or it's just sort of like that emotional side, right? Can that link be solved by an upheaval or a rebellion or some fundamental like change in their life? Or am I sort of too far off track? No, I don't think so. I think... I mean, the goal with any negative aspect or hard aspect is that uh, eventually you can just look internally and be able to um, have them work harmoniously regardless of the the aspect. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just a way of, yeah, seeking what's missing in either planet or in either sign. So what did you say right before that? <laughs> Mostly I'm just saying that like the way that Donnie – sort of finds his path and finds that he's he's just worth worth a shit mm-hmm. in a way and then he doesn't need braces he doesn't need any physical appendages he doesn't need anything that will like make this guy love him he's he's also just coming out of the closet his thing is that like he's just realizing he's gay mm-hmm. he has love to give yeah um he wants to give it but he's not really being accepted because he doesn't love himself first that's another big thing as well mm-hmm. honestly who helps him out with that? It's John C. Riley. It's Jim. Yeah. Like I'm just putting that together too, that they have similar arcs. Mm-hmm. That they Jim, really do, yeah. That Jim finds love and he finds that um, he's about to find some of that structure. And and he, she's so structureless mm-hmm. and that she's had her childhood taken from her in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And Jimmy coming forward uh, with his death news, death knocking on his door. She doesn't want any part of it. She She needs to get out and everything and that whole call that he comes to his house so i think those three really come together really nicely because they're honestly just she has the dad bit but it's almost in the background it's not as prevalent as obviously earl partridge Mm -hmm. and frank Mackey for sure um 
she's introduced that love back into Jim's life and they've been able to, you know, they have that connection. They kiss, all that kind of stuff. They have that date. Mm -hmm. And thereafter, he, it's been, you know, it's a little tumultuous, but then he goes, the frogs start falling. Yeah. You know, um, Donnie's cracking the safe. I'm skipping over so much crap. I'm skipping over so much crap. I know it's really tough to talk about this movie. I like, I don't even understand how we're going to get through this. (laughs) But, you know, Donnie, learns to love himself or gets that sort of encouragement from Jim, you know, and then that's the three of them. They all sort of have their arc and their finality or their new, you know, rebirth. And, and it's through that missing length of structure and tradition, uh, not responsibility, I guess, responsibility for like one another. Mm-hmm. And it's just through the birth of a new relationship. That's good. Well, you know, words. <laughs> you just tie them together. For sometimes. sure. You know. But I really hope Donnie's doing well. I feel bad for Donnie at the end. His teeth. He needs braces now. His, his teeth. It's so funny. I know. Everyone's everyone's journey ends. I mean, none of them end positively. Um, no, it's messy for sure. The one that it's the most harsh, heartbreaking. I mean, though, you know, Rose. Mm-hmm. Ray goes to uh, Rose's house, though. Uh, Rose goes to Rose's Claudius. house. Goes to Claudia's. Yeah. And they sort of, and they haven't spoken in a while. So right. there's that meeting they sort of you know they bond together not that rose is a primary character but she abandons his and there's contention too we don't know if he dies at the end i don't think jimmy dies in that moment i thought he did when the 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 frog falls on him doesn't he on the gun and the house goes up in flames yeah maybe he got out does he pass out yeah because the frog falls on his hand the gun goes off and he falls you know and then that sparks that's why the fire the fire yeah true yeah jimmy's sort of a villain man like when you get down to it jimmy's a bit of a villain yeah so uh it's tragic what goes through him i mean it's just through his death it through his death it brings his his wife i know and his daughter thought, together. i've really thought that his that's, his that's the best that he can give them is dying unfortunately i know it seems like his journey is more used to serve his daughter's journey. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like her. A bit. I mean, it brings Jim there. Right. right. That's the inciting incident. Right. And I don't think, I think he's incites a lot of the conflict that she experiences and that there's not nearly as much to it. It's, it's, you know, generally then, not a great guy, but yeah. just seeing how that in turn has affected Claudia um, into her adulthood and how that affects her journey. I think that a part of it is, it's that reckoning with the past. I think he is the most to reckon with, along sure. with yeah. Old Partridge. It's these two people that are close to death. And it's just the meditation on your life. You're just sort of running past, uh, no pun intended, you're running past your memories and you're thinking, you know, where did I go wrong? Mm-hmm. Trying to smooth over these relationships that went awry. And you don't know it for a really long time. And then it's sort of uh, out in the open in the end. And it's ambiguous. Yeah. That's all you don't really know. I mean, because of her, because of Claudia's reaction Mm -hmm. you would assume that 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 would have happened yeah but it's just the two dying fathers they're at they're they're meditating and yeah in a way it's sort of his death if we're talking about that his death brings some sort of structure to the relationship of his two of the two women in his life absolutely and how that original conflict i think more importantly for the children and those families and those relationships how just looking at just looking at Uranus opposition moon and PTA's birth chart, Uranus is the planet of rebellion. So it's 
those children in those relationships, like Claudia, for example, how her emotions and cancer being ruled by the moon, you you think of maternal figures, mothering, nurturing, nostalgia, yeah, true, childhood, true. belonging. It's Wise like, age, thank you. I do what I can. Um, <laughs> but Uranus opposition moon, so that need for or or want for independence, like Claudia wants to move past that. She doesn't want to see her father anymore. So wanting to be independent and be her own person um, away from her father or, or her family altogether, how that comes in conflict with her emotional side and with her moon um, and how she's trying to reckon with that. Because it's like she wants that independence, but she keeps getting pulled back in. A her father bit. shows up, you know, she can't she get keeps, away well, from it. She can't she, get away from her emotional side or what, or, or what happened to her. And since we can kind of guess that the past drove her to a life of drugs or something, let's say the cocaine, like she can't give up the cocaine. It's just that presence mm-hmm. of the past of something that she can't give up because she's trying to move on from it. Right. Right. It's that movement and everyone else needs to slow down, you know, that kind of thing. But she just needs to, you know, and she's an idiot. She does the drugs. He's I at know. the door still. Uh, she's not an idiot, but <laughs> she, you know, she she str- is struggling, you know, deeply with that. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, okay. So they needed love. They need love. Plain, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. They needed those relationships, as we said, that are so prevalent in his movies and are so important, especially to this movie. Yeah. Um. So that knocks down half, nearly. Because, I mean, Stanley's basically the same. His arc, his arc is just communicating. And, and like we said, it's just this communication. And... In a huge way, it's that rebellion. Mm-hmm. It's this it's this rebellion on set, on live air with the thing that he's been creatively, yeah. intellectually engaging with. Right. Completely rebelling against his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, you know, you could say that Claudia is rebelling in her way because she's been able to detach herself from it. She's been able to find a positive male relationship mm-hmm. if we're thinking about that, right? Right. Um, there's this beautiful thing, and, and it will make a nice parallel too, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of – the way that he's rebelling or the way that it's uh, shown in the mise-en-scene right. and this motif of that, um, the bar, uh, one of the patrons of the bar says to Donnie Smith when he's going on, on a bit of his tirade is that it's a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels. Mm-hmm. It's some famous quote, but immediately before that in the, in the, in the, in the scene, Stanley's refusing uh, against Jimmy Gator, like on live air. And it's the whole show's falling apart because he right. doesn't want to go up. He's, Unfortunately, Pete his pants. Uh, <laughs> he didn't want to hold in. And he's talking about, he's like, I'm not a toy. I'm not some puppet necessarily. Basically, I'm not a puppet because he's getting controlled by his dad and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And he's done. He's done a little bit of his research afterwards when he runs away. He, find, he, he now is looking into himself instead of looking at all these other things in the world. It's this really touching moment where he's studying himself, literally. You know, he just has all these sort of. Um, the savant and the geniuses and everything. He's just trying to figure out who he is. Right. That's his big thing of, and it, and it's about creation. It's like this self-reinvention. It's recreating himself of who he is. Fully. And yeah. it, almost in a way, though, what I was going to say is that almost in a way, uh, his is the most tragic because his dad doesn't really seem to give a shit after when no. he's like, you need to treat me better. And he's like, I'm going to go to bed. bed. And you're like, oh, boy, Stanley. I know. But he's smart enough. Heart. But the guy, you know, he's smart enough to know. He's refusing and rebelling in his creative pursuits Mm -hmm. that will hopefully bring him closer to some sort of structure and tradition uh, or traditional relationship with his father. Yeah. And so it's a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels, as I just said. And there is this, I don't know what that sign is, you know, the wings with the pole and the snake in the bottom. What does that just mean? Health or something? 
I know what you're talking about. I know, I yeah. know. So stupid. I don't know I the know. name for I it. I should know it, but that is framed. It's it cuts in, and I and I pointed it out to you. It was this huge revelation. Mm-hmm. Is that it keeps showing up in the in the blue background, and then he has wings. Mm-hmm. Stanley has wings, and it's because like he has wings upon his shoulder, and it's you know it's dangerous to confuse the like angels. He all every, he's sort of this very amicable, cute, loving, you know, perfect child that knows everything, and he's rebelling against that. He's rebelling against that. He's rebelling against his image, um, and he's sort of shedding those wings. You know, he's trying to get out of them. He doesn't want to be this angelic cherub genius for sure anymore. Um, so he wants to again, you know, he wants to love himself as well. Um, not that it, it keeps being about love, but he wants to sort of change the relationship what's with the eyes you're giving me the eyes no i like where you're going (laughs) i just want you to keep going the gears are turning yeah yeah he just wants to repair that relationship with his dad that seemed like it's always been kind of bad from the start so a lot of people you know those are the arcs that i'm seeing but yeah but specifically you know donnie himself he needs to like look inwards same with stanley i was gonna all this pressure on them you know yeah i was gonna say the same thing with that idea of change Um, or creation for each of the characters in the movie. It's kind of like they're undergoing this deep internal and psychological work. Um, And even if it's not, even if the conflict like Stanley with his dad isn't necessarily resolved by the end, he's just, he's He's almost, he's almost, yeah, he's changed as a person because of that, because of those experiences. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So regardless, regardless of the outcome of any of the situations or any of the relationships, all of them undergo some sort of major change psychologically. And emotionally and physically as well. In yeah. a lot of ways too. Yeah, he's shedding those wings. He's he's getting rid of it. He doesn't want to be the angel anymore. That makes his dad money and he's this perfect kid. Right. Yeah. And I wonder for PTA at the time of making this movie, we talked about his Saturn return, how that's a big um, change in his life at that time on top of his father passing away. Um, at the same time, his transit Neptune trine Uranus in his birth chart. So that's just another indicator with Neptune um, you just think of ideas of dreams, delusions, um, transcendence almost, um, trying positive aspect with Uranus, which is rebellion uh, and upheaval like we've talked about. Yeah. So it's really just about a good time for him, PTA, to be just like discovering new aspects of his own mind and his own psyche and he's in doing a his world own without deep his work. father for sure you know? for sure so just that, that major bridged change him to entertainment because his dad and you know we should have said this before but his dad uh, is this cult figure in entertainment mm-hmm. um in cleveland i think uh, or something that they're yeah. talking about uh, goulardi goulardi and he has this production company and he's just sort of a you know a booth operator a vocal booth uh guy mm-hmm. uh voice actor kind of guy you know announcer so it's that it's that patriarchy though, and then bridging it with Earl Partridge, who again is this empire dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have much to do in the movie besides, I think, bridge a lot of ideas of regret, right? And sort of and reckoning with the past. So you're right; this movie is totally about that. Is you know, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, has, why he else that, would like, he make a movie about it, right? <laughs> he well, he has that whole speech. And again, not that he felt those things about his dad or that, but it's just those things that run through your mind that I wonder if he had any regrets or knowing that kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just fully like uh, coping on an emotional level. With loss. Yeah. With death. Yeah. How do I cope with this? And being reborn out of it mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, 
Phoenix rising from the ashes. Like what Jimmy. Movie? Like Jimmy. What movie is this? Uh, Order of. <laughs> Good one. Or Catching Fire. Good one. Or is there another? Phoenix Rising. Sounds like a band name. Sounds like a porno. It does. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, sounds like a band. Terrible riffs or something. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> You're not down. You don't even want to go down that deep hole. I'm not going to put it on my list of potential band names for when I'm a rock star. Dude. Mm-hmm. I like this confidence. Mm-hmm. I like this newfound confidence. I'm sweating so much right now. It's hot in here. It would just increase the noise too. But I think it's good. We're sweating it out. Mm-hmm. We're shedding our wings. We're not the angel hosts that you think we are. We say cock and shit. Apparently a bunch. <laughs> you do. A bee. I think we're almost done, crazy enough. I mean, we're really skipping. It's it's I think this oh is Oh my been, god, we've scratched the surface. We scratched the surface, but like, it's such a hard movie to digest and talk about. It really is. And then, I mean and an, the frogs. I thought it was just, I, I'm like, there must be something so deep that I need to understand what's going on here. But we when t- we listened to the inner like I think what were the frogs about? Like they wasn't that deep. Cycle. It was just something that came to him. Yeah. And he thought of different other references because it was a bit of a folk tale mm-hmm. where dead frogs would be found in crops or something. Right. And that is an indicator for tough times coming. Right. It's as much as like locusts or something sure. like that. It's this plague sure. coming, you know. Yeah. I didn't really get it at first. You know, you only see the all the exodus signs. And I go, what's going know? on yeah, here? Yeah. 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 But in a lot of ways, I mean, it's it's smart. I like this movie. It's super messy. Um, but it's a good way to just have everything. It You know, the weather already is communicating with everybody because right. it's raining really hard and they got to go get dry or something like that. Right, right. Um, Stanley studying the weather, right? He has this probably knowledge of mm-hmm. what's to come than, and no one else does. But then the frogs is like um, Julianne Moore fly you know the ambulance flies yeah, off and everything and just, then and then i think it stops john c Riley from you know jim he stops his car and he might not have seen if he had passed he might have seen donnie coming in donnie and the braces i mean obviously it just mm-hmm. connects them and then you know rose goes into claudia's house it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a just a clever thing look it's how you make movies i guess i'm just <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like and all these things about the like secret. the characters changing and going through yeah. changes it's like that's what you need in a good movie. But I think I it's so instrumental. It's like literally every single one of these things. There's not, uh, well, besides Jim, you know, he doesn't need any sort of big change. If anything, he needs, uh, I have no idea. This this movie's. I'm losing my mind thinking this movie. It's so hard to digest. There are a lot of nugs. Okay. The biggest nug of all. Okay. Suck on that golden nuggy. <laughs> is... Frank T.J. Mackey, baby yeah, Tom right. Cruise, um, one of our finest living actors, mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely, 100% agree. Uh, how hot is he on a scale of one to Mission Impossible 2? Blow off the fucking roof. Bleep that. Fully explicit. Bleep it. We already said cock a bunch, Podcast so I think we have to do that. Bleep me. Whoa. You dropped the first one. Gosh. You dropped the first Frank T.J. Mackey. <laughs> I did. Um. With his with his like half ponytail that he does too. Good. Ugh. Heartthrob. Yeah, and he's repulsive in this movie. I know, but and still, repulsive like, in real life. Also, we don't support Scientology. We don't really support TC, mm-hmm. but we do support his talent. Oh, we surely do. And his um, 
And he's partial to calendars. That's like the really fun, cute thing. I like, I love that thing. I wish we had just more of it. Remember, he's just like, it's a really simple thing. Get a calendar. Do you remember that? And you can like set schedule that date and you need the calendar. And he's like, you got to wait five days. You can make the call or whatever. I don't know what you're talking about at all. (laughs) But it's awesome. I just miss, I really, I really wish I was at that conference. Oh my God. No, you don't. Yeah. Flying the wall. No, you absolutely don't. I'm not one of those guys, but okay. My my big huge thing, and mm-hmm. I mean it's the most. It's it's Earl Partridge is this, and he really links everyone together because he's producing the show. What mm-hmm. what do kids know? Jimmy's on it. Stanley's on it. Claudia's watching it. Claudia, you know, is the daughter of that. Everyone is involved. Every 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 single one. So Frank is the son of Earl, mm-hmm. and Earl abandoned him right essentially as a child, and Frank had to take care of his dying mother. This is revealed through. A very contentious interview. Mm-hmm. And he kind of shuts down. He ends up having the most cathartic scene in the movie, for sure. He has to confront his dying dad. This is this is the closest thing. Obviously, he's I don't think he PTA puts himself in Frank, but I think this is that scene where through the prism of Frank, where he's, you know, saying and he's just being vulgar to him and he's swearing at him and he's using that language that like really aggressive language but he's breaking down i think that those are his barriers because obviously he makes a career out of um hooking up with girls and sex and sort Mm -hmm. of reclaiming masculinity and he's breaking down literally emotionally in front of his dad so i think that's the cathartic you know crux which comes three hours in (laughs) but it's waterworks i know i know tommy's good tommy's good in this yeah of course he is so I've been rambling. We're almost done here. Let's wrap this up. So I think that we've been teasing all this kind of shit. We may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, reckoning with your past. Frank is completely molded by his past. And essentially, he's he actually has these strong female influences in his life. I mean, the the transformative, unfortunately, for the worst part of his life is that his mom dies. His dad abandons him, essentially, and then he takes that out, and then he essentially wants to take it out on all the women and sort of, you know, and she's doing the second analysis, Guinevere or something. And that just makes sense. How can I channel that, and how can I not really get closer to women, but it's through this, like, masculine, aggro Mm -hmm. belt of just having sex with them and trying to manipulate them and that they, you know, his mom died. So he's just trying to take it out on all these women after him. Yeah. You know, well, I'll, I'll get you and I won't get emotionally attached because then nothing will happen to me ever again. Yeah. With him specifically, it's like a complete rebellion against his emotions. Well, and, and against structure and tradition, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have that familial bent. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's not even close to PTA. Family's everything for him. Right. Uh, and a lot of ways, you know, just his siblings and he has a big family himself with Maya. Right. Yeah. He has no one. He has this, he has the surrogate family of his followers, of his legions, of his disciples, his sex disciples. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny stuff, but it is really, uh, when you break it down and you actually think about Scorpio, you know, the eighth house and there's sex and death and birth and everything. It's all within there, right? The I mysticism. Know, he's created like this a- cult, right? He's he's trying to solve. He's misplacing his uh, attempt to solve the lack of, you know, the Capricorn, the structure and tradition with the family. Right. Through sex. He's right. just trying to solve it through sex. Yeah, absolutely. Literally. It's the missing piece for him. It's like filling an emotional void. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, this is my big thing. We're almost done, everybody. <laughs> but uh, he literally says it um, on a slide around 31 minutes in. I have all these timestamps. But he's like, the best thing that you can do to bring a woman closer together, uh, closer to you <laughs> and to make her believe that you want to be in a relationship or something like that and make yourself what what are you doing? I don't know what you're talking about. Go. Cool. I'm rambling. This movie is just making a mess of me for it's sure. It's great. And it's so hot in here. I'm sweating so much. I can't run to the AC. So he says form a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And what's forming a tragedy? Creation. Creation myth. So he makes this creation myth, right? It's that it's not even reinventing. He reinvents himself into this sex guru. Yeah. Mackie. And Honestly. It's not, it's, you know, that's not his real name and everything, right? Right. So he changes everything down to his name is probably his appearance right. and his whole morals behind sex and family and women mm-hmm. is that he forms a tragedy, which he evades essentially, but he tells everyone else to form a tragedy. Right. Um, and so he's evading his past and he's evading structure and tradition mm-hmm. through sex, literally. Um, obviously with that, you can parse out that he's probably lonely and isolated himself. Of course. You know, he's never really framed with anybody else. He's constantly taking up the entire room but he's not getting close to anyone physically right there's this distance you, you don't actually see him interact with anyone physically until he uh, until he's with his dad and in all and honesty right his bed. i think that's his real transformation what's that is that last scene when he is breaking down and he is feeling his it's, emotions it's all leading it's, there it's all simmering that's yeah, yeah. frank Mackey has who has existed for how long and yeah, I think he's lost whoever he was before. He's lost the boy that took care of his mom. Exactly. Exactly. So I think I mean you can't get away from your past. There's always going to be that conflict with your emotional side and with with your past. Yeah. So I think for him seeing him break down like that after building up those walls for yeah. however long is is yeah. is his major change. No, no, I know. Like, I'm saying the same thing, too. I'm just, anyway, it's this whole thing. It's fun when you, like, think about movies more and you go, whoa, (laughs) layers. There's a lot of layers. (laughs) (laughs) Look, movies and onion. I know. Just keep peeling. Truly. So Frank's career is defined by self-invention. Yeah. He's created himself. He's created this myth of himself. And he talks to, and he opens up in the the interview a bit, that seduce and destroy. Mm Mm-hmm his uh, whole plan, you know, to get laid. Uh, It's all about what you can be in this world. Right. And it's about controlling it and defining it. So he takes that into his own hands, is that he's not going to be controlled by his dad. He's not defined by his past. Mm -hmm. It's completely about who you are and just reinvent yourself completely. And obviously it doesn't work for him. And then he eventually finds that catharsis with the death of his father. Mm -hmm. And then that brings the real transformation that he's actually going to see a woman that he doesn't intend on having sex with. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's his big thing. It's it's much more complicated than just finding love. Yeah. Because you think yeah. that, oh, he just needs a woman that he can settle down with. But it's, yeah, if you go down to it and if PTA just talks about this movie as being about his dad, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's Frank's arc. Is he the lead character? Oh, I w- yeah. You I know, would if, argue. obviously this movie is, uh, desperately trying to get away from any lead character. Yeah. It's the entire point. Mm-hmm. But I guess that would be... Just hearing him talk about the movie... He's got the biggest transformation. He's got the biggest leap to take over to learning and transforming and having that that rebirth and the mm-hmm. reinvention of himself. Right. 
Yeah. And I think, yeah, looking at Mackie specifically, um, maybe personality or qualities aside, I think in terms of his journey, I would say hearing PTA talk about what he was going through when he was making this movie, that seems like the journey he would most relate to. Not that he would relate to Frank, but that he would relate to the journey. Yeah. And just understanding and coping with. I think it's just realizing that his father's died. Yeah. It's the biggest thing. Of course. I mean, that's what I'm most afraid of. It's like sort of like it's it's less. I guess when I was saying it's less about reckoning with the past or something, it's more like you have to deal with the future. Yeah. It's like you're Fully. dealing with the future knowing that the past is gone and the complete fear that that entails mm-hmm. or the fear that is involved with that. I am mush. No, I agree. I am mush. I know. I I concur. I concur. <laughs> My only other, do you have any final thoughts? I only have like one thing I think I we've exhausted say. it. No, I'll leave it to you. You got nothing to say? Uh, I don't no. mean astrology, but just like, what would you give this movie out of 10? Oh my God, I like this movie a lot. You like this movie a lot? Yeah. It's so messy. Length aside, I give it like a nine. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which PTA movie do you like the best? Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> which we're not talking Boogie about. Nights. Yeah, I thought that movie Whoa. was really fun. Ah, shoot. We can always do it next episode. No. We'll just We've already drop up. little. Drop little. Boogies. Boogies betting. <laughs> my only thing is that uh, I read a paper in university about um late 90s movies specifically like all 99 sure um in hollywood that there was this odd trend of movies uh either comedies or dramas adult dramas etc that were all these that were men and some were satirical like fight club and some were a little too ambiguous like american beauty specifically those two that uh, had male characters trying to reclaim their masculinity mm-hmm. they were worried about culture's influence advertising uh, TV, etc. They were influencing and propagating a culture of like effeminate males, and that they were being threatened, right? By I don't know, just like culture at large. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I'm picking up? Like they were just trying to reclaim their masculinity through I do. certain things. Fight Club yeah. and American Beauty. They both quit their jobs in really you know emotional ways because they're trying to get out of you know. Well, the office jobs, not I have to go back to the primitive nature of man and muscles and sweat and, mm-hmm. you know, all these really stereotypical things. American Beauty does an awful way of doing it. I don't know. I like, know. I hate that movie so much now. I don't like I it I loved either. it so much when I was watching it, or, you know, early 20s. There's no, he reclaims his masculinity by sleeping with his daughter's friend underage. Like, I don't get it. Fight Club doesn't hold up as well. It's just not smart. It's just not as not as smart or funny as I think it is or edgy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But that is satire. Anyway, right. you have men in the late 90s feeling that they need to reclaim masculinity, essentially. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly that. It's actually in 99. It's, it's only two months after those movies. Right. So you have all these weird, like, men's rights activists things. You know what I mean? The MRA shit, the red pill. I do. And it's like, wow, this mean. precedes that a lot. And you have, and and I think, I think Magnolia is, well, Magnolia is definitely the best one out of those three. Uh, but agree. it's also the smartest and the most uh, transparent about like how disgusting men are in their, in oh, their like stereotypical, fully, like in fully. just like in misogynism, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Frank aside, yeah. All those men buying tickets for all that shit. Anyway, yeah, for sure. So 
it's all about that. It's all about, you know, creating a culture of penis envy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Where it's like seduce and destroy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and taking all these, you know, it's biological. It's all that kind of stuff. And having, it's like the elevation of that. It's like, okay, all these guys, uh, let's say it's like a sequel. All these guys started fighting in their basements. And now, though, they want to stop touching each other in sweaty basements. (laughs) And instead, they want to like actually get laid and like they want to like find sex and happiness. And like they want to reclaim, again, just reclaiming masculinity. Yeah. And it's only, it's reclaiming it through sex. Mm -hmm. And it's, I just thought that's interesting. I just never really bridged that together until when we watched it, where I was like, all these movies coming out. There's a third one in 99. Can't stand it. Can't it's stand okay. It. As of uh, as of uh, next episode, we're out of the nineties. No, oh, out of next episode, we're out of a crazy long episode that is, is literally just one movie. It was so hard, but I wanted to talk about it because I feel mm-hmm. like it was just that much more personal. This podcast is half the length of the movie. That's pretty good. Then I think that's honestly appropriate. How else are you going to tackle that kind of shit? That's a good. Yeah. No, we're fine. <laughs> anyway, I'm sore. This movie took it out of us. Yeah, mm, nap, nap time. That's amazing. <laughs> Nap time as in sleep time. Fully. Sleep time. Sleep time. It's another business meeting. We have business meetings and we're going to go to sleep. <laughs> no one's listening <laughs> it's anymore. Listening begins with life. But fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. I don't know how you'd get through this far if you haven't actually seen it. True. But. That's amazing. Sign have we up? said what we're going to talk about next episode? No. Let's do some. Uh, now let's do some housekeeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so far. Take it in. away. Anyway, we're going to do Punch Drunk Love, and we're taking up The Master. Yeah. Ten years apart, mm-hmm. I believe. Ten years, um, yeah. Completely different movies, and that's why I want to pick it. I think There Will Be Blood's a little too close to The Master. There Will Be Blood would take longer than this took. I don't think so. I don't oh, think really? so. I think when you just have yeah. one freaking character, it's a bit easier, and you have one trajectory, you can parse it out a little bit easier. You know, Spielberg had all these, like, similar Mm-hmm. Uh, elements, similar arcs. Yeah, you know, fully, fully. Lack of communication, etc. And this Hard. is similar. You have an we ensemble will... cast of like 12 characters. Yeah. So so keep in mind for next uh, episode uh, for Punch Drunk Love and The Master, which will be a much shorter episode, I believe, but also just a little bit. It will Don't just... say that too soon. I know, I know. Cursing ourselves. But it, it'll, it'll be much easier to parse out, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we said, right, creation, going back to that first of cycle, the cardinal, yep. right? It'll be creation, self-reinvention, you know, self reinvention, et cetera, uh, loneliness and isolation, and then what's missing, potentially, that structure, tradition, and responsibility. And we right. will see that play out in both of those movies. Uh, and wonderfully, somehow, it really all links up, and it linked up in this movie. To be honest, I think we did an okay job at summarizing all this crap and really linking all that stuff up. It takes... Take some uh, hard physics, some algebra. And again, this is like, this is this is creative analysis. There are no rules. <laughs> yeah, I know. Flexible interpretation, yeah, as we said. Yeah, of course. Make um, it fun. I had fun. As much as we sound really tired and bitter uh, about the length of this movie. Kinda, and quiet. You're so speechless. I know. Uh, well, this is how I felt after Magnolia. Now it's like I just went through it again. Yeah, you know what? That, then we're just honoring the movie. Right. We're just leaving the listeners being like, oh, okay, it's just all sitting this. in my brain right now. Um, well, yeah. How do we sign this off? We'll see you next week. <laughs> Respect the clock.